Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today, I'm talking with J.B. Miller. Now, J.B., what part of the country are you in? Hey, John. It's an honor to be here. We are in northern Ohio. We're just a little bit southwest of Cleveland. Tell us about your operation. It feels like a loaded question now because it's changing uh, all the time. But we are a, we do some custom work, uh, you know, planting and harvesting. Uh, we do a little bit of our own row crops and we've gotten pretty big into the two-string hay equine market. Mm-hmm. Where did that all start? It started when I came back to the farm after bouncing around some CPA-related jobs actually inside Cleveland and realized, hey, I don't, don't necessarily think that's really for me. And I was helping my dad and his crew, his crew, uh, do custom work in our own row crops and stuff. And it was, it was fun. It, you know, I enjoyed it and everything. It's how a lot of us get the start in it. Uh, and he had a bank barn full of hay. And the numbers are, I'm not sure I remember them quite clearly. There might've been 15,000 bales or something stacked in there. And he kept telling me, Hey, why don't you try to sell this? Why don't you try to sell this? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Whatever. And I put it on Facebook. And I think within 36 hours, there was, Quite honestly, 10 to 15 people that came and picked up hay and handed us cash. Yeah. So we're just, I'm thinking, I'm like, Dad, why don't we do a little more of that? So we, we got another baler and we had a terrible year, I think, back in um, maybe 2018. We had tremendous rains in the spring and there was a lot of row crop ground that didn't get planted. And at that point, we were maybe only still doing maybe 40 acres of hay, just kind of playing around with it. And I don't mean that to offend anyone, but 40 acres is not what an organization would make its living on. Right, right. And the USDA office or the extension offices for Ohio came out with the forage program where you could put, normally you were only able to put forage in prevent plant ground. And I think you could graze or take it off after October is on a standard year because there was such a, there was going to be a lack of corn silage and everything else that didn't get planted that spring they bumped it up to September 1st. So that still makes a harvestable dry hay schedule up here. So we threw, kind of on a whim, we threw 600 acres of Teffin in that year, and we small squared all but 40 acres. My dad has always been kind of a guy that will jump into something if he, if he sees that it works. And he knew that I liked making hay. I really liked selling it on the smaller scale we had. So he somehow managed to turn around and get four balers on the farm. I don't. Some people have seen our lineup picture where we had I think we had two 8360s on a 1840 baler, which if you can picture that is <laughs> the most absurd, funny, ridiculous <laughs> thing you've ever seen. But we just made it work all on a whim. You know, we had a couple months to get this all together and we got over it. We made a lot of it dry and we had somehow the best September, I think, Ohio has ever given farmers. And we filled up every barn we had, packed to the brim, equipment was sitting outside. Then we get to the winter and it, it starts selling. And we, we built a lot of good relationships with stables. And you know, we're like, you know what? I think we're going to do this a little bit bigger scale. So we took the next year, we took a lot of our most productive row crop ground out of row crops. And we started seeding, uh, you know, Timothy Orchard alfalfa mixes. And it's really just blown up from there. And I was talking to the guys last night, getting ready for the podcast and just to see the, the scale that we got to now. And I'm pretty sure we have 12 semis on the road right now. So that's why my phone keeps going crazy because it's really just taken off in, in a short time. Ah, that's quite the scale. And that's going to feed stores and that's going to stables? Yes. I don't think, at least from what I know, none of the hay of our hay ends up at feed stores. Now, we do go to some brokers, but they're kind of independent people that I would not call a feed store. 
but yeah, I would say it's mostly stables. Take me through your progression on equipment. You said you started with one baler, then you doubled, then you were pulling little two-string balers with really big tractors. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? What came next? When I came back to the farm from college, uh, we were using, I think, a pretty sure it's just 575, just one of them to go over the, the 40 acres or whatever. And then when we jumped into the higher acres of Teff, my dad had four. 1840 balers show up at the farm and being a row crop operation at that point in time, I, I don't think we had, we had one 5075 E tractor. Uh, and that was our only tractor at 75 horse. And I think the next one started at 260 horse. We had 72 sixties. So we had, we had absolutely nothing from the 75 to the 250 horsepower range. So when we started putting more acres into hay, um, we started transitioning some of those higher, bigger horsepower tractors, rolling, trading, whatever. And, uh, we were almost exclusively deer. And we had, we knew some guys that uh, dealt with Massey around here. And then we went and talked to them. And for the price and what we were trying to do, and um, I don't want to make any grand statements about Massey versus deer, but we for hay, we didn't necessarily need all the super fancy uh, GPS and things of that nature. And Massey's fit our budget a lot better. So we started rolling into those. And I think... Man, it's crazy that I, I don't know it right off the top of my head, but we now run five 1840s. We run one Massey uh, MF4160 round baler. We run a 2270 XD 3x4 Massey baler. And we run all Masseys in front of them. Uh, sometimes, actually, we have a probably 8370 usually on the, the large square baler. 83, yeah, three, 370 horses, plenty for that big baler, right? Yes, and now that's, uh, we used to have, you know, quite a few of those. Now we only have one because it's just unnecessary for the amount of hay we're doing compared to the row crop operation. You mentioned that you had done some CPA work. How does that help you in your operation? <laughs> How does that make you different? I guess it, it's, it helped with hay in a way too, and I'll, I'll touch on us getting into hay, it helped. When I came back to the farm, my dad is the best farmer I know. He he is an excellent, excellent farmer, but he despised bookworks and bookwork. And his books, uh, <laughs> he had some, you know, his balance sheet and stuff would show up on napkins. He told me when he used to talk to bankers and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, so it it was. I'm sorry, Dad, if you listen to this, it was truly a disaster. I mean, there, there was really there was really nothing going on. So it took me probably a solid four weeks to even make what resembled a somewhat professional balance sheet. And from there, you start to generate the income statement and all that stuff. And once I finally all got through, I realized, hey, my dad has really built something great. There's a lot going on. He's been successful. Um, but when you're row cropping, he only had a couple other guys. And there wasn't there was a place for me. I mean, he was doing just fine. But being a little more young and ambitious, there wasn't there wasn't enough of a place for me to come back to the farm and, and maybe do something that he wasn't already doing. I hope that makes sense. So you look at some of the profitability that you can get in the hay and specifically the equine market, uh, you see that maybe there's room to bring on some more acres and there's room to grab some more equipment and do some more things and maybe utilize a little bit more of your time in those midsummer months when you're not planting or you're not harvesting. Because when you're just a grain farmer in Ohio, you get in and you do tillage and you plant and then 
you wait a couple months and you harvest and there's not a whole lot of full-time gig going on. You know, you are, you are spraying and such, but it, it's a lot less, it's a lot more relaxed than hay is. So we were able to utilize our time a little bit better and, and being ambitious, we, we took those summer months and we just kind of grabbed them and went full bore with it. Uh, so going back to the CPA work, I, I did still get my CPA because I thought I went through all the courses. Why not do that? So those were fun tests to study for, but that has helped now because obviously with all this equipment and the transition and rolling over and, and trying to buy farms and things of that nature, the banks decide that they, they really do want to see some more organized financials. So one, they got that from our operation. And two, it really helps knowing where we stand all the time. And especially when you're in the retail market for hay, you know, grain, you, you look online and you see that your cash basis for grain and you try to forward contract and stuff. But what the market offers is what you're able to take. And it's not like hay is any different, but you do have some leeway, a dollar, 50 cents, 75 cents here and there with, with hay. And when you know your actual cost into it, you can you can turn a profit if you know how to market it the right way. So we do know our cost in each of our cuttings coming off our fields. And I think that's been a real competitive advantage. Let's take a break there and get a word from our sponsor. I wouldn't care what baler anybody was running. I would tell you that this is the best mesh there is, the best mesh. When I switched to Vermeer Net, the first thing I noticed was how strong the mesh was when I was putting it into my baler. It's tough, it doesn't rip, it holds together. The biggest impact Vermeer Mesh has had on my operation has been more time. That time savings, it's just, you got more money in your pocket or more time with your family. I'm Mike Levesey, and that's why I switched to Vermeer Net. In there, I heard you say your relationship with a bank got easier as you were able to better communicate financials. I'm just putting an exclamation point there. (laughs) Yes. Better in quotes. We were talking earlier before the podcast, and you were in your state particular. Hay is really a significant industry because you have the export market near you. Now, in northern Ohio, it is definitely not a significant industry. And for our our bankers and even the guys who are farmers themselves, no one really does hay on the scale where it is the number one income item on their their you know income statement for the year. So it 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 did take this feels weird saying, it did take some education and a couple of years of proving, hey, this is what hay is capable of doing. Do you believe us now? Are you willing to go forward on on some of the things, some of our long-term plans and stuff like that? So it did take a couple of years for the banks to get on board with, hey, this is, you know, it sucks that you don't really have crop insurance, so you do have a risk, but this is a, a venture that is worth doing for a farm. But they also did just like that we were more organized too. But I guess what I was trying to say particularly is there aren't a whole lot of large hay scale, hay operations at our scale. So it was a newer thing to the banks and I had to do I'm sure to any farmers listening to this, um, dealing with the banks is not always the most smiling, cheerful experience. I'm <laughs> sure there's usually some some stress and some frustration and aggravation involved, and that might be putting it lightly. I don't know. Maybe maybe other guys have it different than us, but I think that's kind of the sentiment. Um, hey, made it a little more difficult because they had almost no. I don't know the complete inner workings of the bank, but the underwriters and stuff had no one else to look at, or they were maybe just, they were trying to compare numbers to the local hay markets, which is, it's, it's, that's not. Or, or thinking, thinking to corn and soybeans, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just two different worlds. Completely. Yeah. 
It really is. It is two different worlds. We're, we're both farmers, but that's about the only, the only common line you can draw. Right, right. You mentioned crop insurance there. What's your perception around the availability of crop insurance in the hay and forage world? My perception, at least in our area, is that it's not a very widely used tool. And I truthfully don't know all the aspects of it, but I do know that we have some annual rainfall uh, type insurance tools. And my perception is it's kind of just a gamble. Um, So we've taken it some years and we haven't taken it, uh, I think, the past two years. But beyond that, I don't really think there's tools that are offered for our area. And if I'm wrong, uh, I might be, but I'm just not aware of them. I might look into that and, and get you some more information here, but I, I think your perception is is good. And I know uh, we don't feed our own livestock, so I know that some of the dairy farmers and the cattle guys, yep. I think they have tools available to them when it's pertaining to their own feed and such, but uh, nothing for the, the retail side of hay. Uh, you've mentioned your dad and all of this. Is there other family involved? Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> the past well, probably four years, I would say that my mom has probably spit out the most bales through a baler than anyone else. Um, she also has a full-time job herself, but she has pretty flexible hours and, and set days off. And If we can line up days to bale, she's, she's in the baler ready to go. She's always riding with the dog and she's happy to do it. And I, yeah, I would say that she's probably made the most small square bales of, of anyone. Yeah, I we were talking ahead of this, and I shared that that my mother runs my swather, and mm-hmm. she has for, yes. for sure run that more than I, run that swather more than I have by by a yeah. wide wide margin. Yep, I'm super proud of her uh, because we've thrown her in different balers and, and different tractors, and we keep switching things up and. We introduced her stroke counter, and then we started jumping into the preservative game. So we threw that at her, and uh, she's just taking it all, and she's an excellent operator. She went from, you know, okay, mom can go bail this, to now she's calling me and asking me if the outside rows along a uh, fence line or the woods are ready, and she's very perceptive, and she's an excellent operator. And We're super happy to have her because she's always there. It's a family, we have a wonderful crew. But when your mom is always there to get the job done, it, it does make it smooth. Yep. 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 I totally get that. I'll share with you that I threw my mom in a big baler this year. Uh, <laughs> she she did really well, too. I, I just I, I have absolutely zero complaints. Yeah, right. I know. I, I'm just grateful. Grateful is the word. You also have a social media presence. I do. Yes. Our YouTube channel is Farming Insider. How did that start? I think I just bought a camera and started filming, to be honest. I don't think there's a grand story behind it. Um, I had always watched, a lot. I'm on YouTube a lot, you know, yeah. I think anyone in my generation is. And uh, when you're learning and trying to experiment and jump into this world of hay and forage, luckily you came before me and you started this Hay Kings with, with an awesome peer-to-peer network and everything. And I have learned a tremendous amount from that group. I'm always going to YouTube to to listen to other things and how to grow and just be a better forage producer. And I realized that there, there was not a whole lot of farms that were actively uploading two string operations. And there aren't a whole lot that are uploading any hay operations. I mean, there are some guys that are, that are great, but I thought that was a, a niche that I, we could jump into. So I started filming and I found out that it was a lot harder to film while you're also in the heat of the moment, uh, trying to organize people and machines and make sure the hay is dry and right. And it, it's a lot harder than I think people might make it out to be. But 
when you did kind of you get some cool drone videos and talk about it a little bit and try to interview some of the guys and the great crew and string it onto a veiler and I or string it together in a nice video and I found out that sometimes people want to watch it and it kind of took off from there. What's been your most successful video so far? I think there's a video that's close to eight hundred thousand views and it's one of our original just hey big days that we went out. Yes, uh, I think I have a, a drone shot of the lineup and there's quite a few you know, quite a few pieces of equipment there. And you have the large John Deere's and the, the small inline bailers. And I think <laughs> people are like, what in the world is this? This guy, there's no way this this operation is doing anything right. And they click <laughs> on and they see that. At that point, I think we're able to put away about 10,000 bales a day. And uh, people are like, wow, this is really cool. Hey, it can be a legitimate business. Right, right. That's always exciting to see. Uh, and can you... Uh, Tell us the name of your channel again, so if uh, somebody's listening, they can go yeah, and find it. Yeah, check it out. It's Farming Insider. And I have three or four videos filmed sitting on the computer that I just need to edit because uh, I act like this is such a challenge. But you get it filmed, and then it's trouble trying to find the time to edit it as well. So when we get some rainy days, I try to string some of those together and get them out there. So. There will be, there's consistent content. There's just some gaps between videos at times. And I will say that uh, beyond just maybe getting some exposure online, uh, and even being invited to this podcast, which is such an honor, the YouTube channel has, I think at this point in time, grown our retail side more than anything. I have received so many calls from people that just, Google hay for sale or hay farms nearby and some of our videos show up and all of a sudden they end up calling and hey, you know, I have a boarding facility in South Carolina. Uh, we usually try to get this in. Do you guys think you could accommodate? And yeah, let's go. Let's let's get some coach together. And there's been so much of that going on, especially the out-of-state sales. And it's actually led to some pretty decent government contracts, actually, that stemmed from being found on YouTube. Wow. Wow, that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool, yeah. So yeah. What, what I just heard you say is sometimes the social media, the the cool videos that you see are, are actually marketing tools. <laughs> they are. And I have started maybe doing that a little more than I want to admit because I realized that. But when I set out to make the videos, I didn't realize that they would be. But yes, they are. And having a good active Facebook presence is a very good marketing tool. And you know, I'm not an expert at marketing by any means, but it seems like when you just have some exposure and, and people kind of see what you're doing without actually hey, saying, hey, here's some two-string Timothy uh, for X amount of price. Do you want to buy it? I, I kind of think sometimes that works a little better than just your upfront marketing. Right. Uh, now this is getting into a little bit of philosophy, but I think millennials grew up on social media, starting with, you know, Tom and then moving over to the Facebook side of the world, right? And in that, millennials are coming into their own where they have some disposable income. Mm-hmm. They're, they're starting families. This this change benefits those that are participating on social media because millennials grew up in social media and now they have money. This is how we have to market, right? I definitely think so. And just to, to add to that thought, I would say the majority of the stable managers that I work with are now part of the millennial generation. Yep. I'm finding the same thing. Yes. And a lot of them see the content online and they reach out and that puts us at a, 
huge competitive advantage over honestly just some of our neighbors that it's hard to even find their phone number if you were looking for it. Right. You were asking about the progression of hay, and I think I missed one key point. When we put in that 600 acres of TAF the year that we had a really rainy spring and that kind of just launched us right into it, it was either a sink or swim moment. We bought an Arkison bundler uh, because prior to this, I, I didn't talk about how we were actually putting up hay. Uh, we were just stacking it in barns, this sheer blown manpower, you know, two guys by hand. Yeah. Two, and we, we didn't have a whole lot of acres, but it was one to two guys on the wagon, uh, three to maybe four if you're lucky and you could convince one of your buddies to get out there that day uh, up in the loft and just people kicking it on wagons. And when we put in the, the acres that kind of busted this wide open, we bought an Arkison. The first one was a C14. I, I do think so. And the very first bundle, the, or the very first 14 bales of hay that we put strings around, something just switched in my mind that I looked at hay a completely different way. Uh, as soon as you start bundling hay, you can look at the small square game way different than you ever had before. And that was a really, really pivotal moment for us because all of a sudden, this is nearly the end product. I mean, hands do not have to touch this anymore. It can go a thousand miles and I don't even have to get my, my soft hands, uh, don't even have to rub it against, you know, maybe a STEMI product or something. It's done. You just pick it up and use the machine and you put it in the barn and you pull it out the same way. So that really made a huge difference in how we began to think of hay and the scale we could take it. So I encourage anyone who maybe is running low on help or they're just not getting their friends together like they used to that stack loss or whatever, see if you can budget some type of accumulation machine or even a bundler because it it completely changes the way that you will think of hay. Yeah. And it happened for us. And then, uh, you know, in the West, we're all about the bale wagons, right? The stack wagons? Yes. Uh, Yes. We might call them harrow beds. That's a, that's a very West Coast term. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's the same thing. We're, we're trying not to touch hay. And the one thing that I would say is, if you're touching hay, you're not making money on hay. That is usually my argument. Yeah. yeah. Or you're making a lot less than you could. Or you're just spending a whole lot more time than you need to. You just can't go fast enough, right? Correct. Yep. And it's, it's certainly not to put anybody down. But if you're trying to do tens of thousands of bales... You can't do it fast enough. No, you cannot. And in an area like ours where our, our weather windows just seem to keep squeezing down, mm-hmm. you, bailing it usually, I mean, it is an issue, but uh, getting it put away in, in, under a roof was always the bigger issue. And as soon as you can automate and mechanize that process, you can start biting off a whole lot more than you used to be able to. Mm-hmm. This has been a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed visiting with you. Likewise, John. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. A special thank you to Vermeer for making this podcast possible. If you'd like, you can go and visit vermeer.com forward slash Haykings for more information. Uh, and if you'd like to get some Haykings swag, I'm going to send you over to hay-kings.com. And then a special thank you to Nick Palmieri, our audio editor, and Jessica Palmieri, our social media coordinator. Mm-hmm.